just imagine every phase of the business is getting looked at with a microscope and a fine tooth comb, which by the way, if you weren't prepared for that, or you didn't have your numbers, or your data, that pro that alone could end the deal. They may go, I just can't understand your business well enough. I can't do diligence. I'm out. No one uh, knows very under the microscope, that microscope you're referring to during due diligence when uh, we did our deal. I'll give you guys each one guess. Your email deliverability? Your fitness is a is a leader. <laughs> Damn. I'm wow. <laughs> no, I, I was questioning my own fitness. What's up, everyone? I'm Alex Lieberman. And I'm Sophia Amoruso. Yo, this is Jesse Puji. And this is The Crazy Ones. All right, everyone. Welcome back to The Crazy Ones, a show that is quickly becoming an entrepreneur's best friend. I am pumped to be back to our normal, normal programming with Jesse Puji, aka Baby Buffett, and Sophia Amoruso, the dean. I'm Alex Lieberman, the mailman. Also, if you didn't listen to last episode, you should. I spoke with the founder of a $700 million garbage business, uh, and he gave away all of his secrets. But also, you missed that we came up with a nickname for you all. So you all, the audience, our fans, our friends, are officially the Misfits. And my amazing Misfits, I have one ask of you before we do this thing. If you're listening to the show, please rate and review The Crazy Ones on Spotify or Apple. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to click subscribe and leave a comment below with one topic you want to hear us talk about on an upcoming episode. Okay. But only five stars work. So four through one just don't work. So don't even it, try to click them. Exactly. Great point. I missed that. Uh, housekeeping officially done. So let's do this damn thing. Today, we are talking about Spotify Wrapped, what it is, why it's a genius campaign, and how to create something similar for your own business. Then we're talking about selling your business, when to do it, how to crush the process, and what the feeling is like after you sell. And we're going to close out this episode with a totally new game that's going to have a ton of hot takes and strong opinions. You're not going to want to miss it, so stay tuned. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Let's start with Spotify Wrapped. It is a campaign that has become more anticipated by some than Black Friday or Cyber Monday. Quick history for you on the campaign, and then I have a surprise to share, so stay tuned. Every year since 2016, Spotify has come out with Spotify Wrapped, which tells a story about users' listening habits for the year. So it includes things like listening minutes, most listened to songs, most listened to artists, listening personality, and more. And Wrapped has turned into this marketing behemoth, and there's a ton to learn from it. Now for the surprise. Crazy Ones production team, let's pull up Jesse's Wrapped. And Jesse, I want to get <laughs> your initial reactions. Uh. I have kids. I'm grip. That's probably my, <laughs> my initial reaction. Oh, no. see, see, by the way, th this is the excuse that every parent makes is that my wrapped is what it is because of my pit kids. But uh, now looking at your wrapped, I am assuming that your fi five-year-old and how old is your other kid? Seven-year-old. That your five and seven-year-old are not binging Meek Mill. Uh, they so are. Well, so in fact, this one is like my son's favorite, favorite song. And I'll find a video of him. We got a call from his second grade teacher. And he's like, you know, he didn't bring something for show and tell. So he said, can I rap going bad to the class? <laughs> and he freestyle rapped going bad to his whole class. 
and I have a video of him doing it. So, you know, he heard us, he heard a song. I like, obviously I played it. We play clean versions only. And, uh, <laughs> when, and when do just, you make the switch as a parent from clean to explicit? I don't know if you ever, you know, our, we, we, our kids have told us they know the F word. Like they, you know, they wow. said it to us and they both learned it the same day at the same pool from two different people. Like, I don't know what the chances are of that. And we just went around. At the pool. So this is your Spotify wrap. Yeah. Like yeah, that? it's wrap. Drake. Oh, I mean, that was good. We love wow, Hamilton. Wow, we love Lin-Manuel Hamilton. Miranda. I love that. He he owns it. And, uh, you know, and then there's some, some religious music. So I was going to say, D- Dia, Dia Singh, what, what exactly is that? It's just like religious hymns. Nice. Like prayer and meditation prayer and that kind of thing. I was going to say, the range on your raft between Meek Mill, Broadway <laughs> music. I guess there is the, the tie there because, like, Hamilton is quasi-rap. And then uh, the the, uh, the religious hymn music. I love it. Okay. Enough of you. Sophia, let's see your raft. Oh, man. I don't know what this says about me. I'm rating for so, Wheels on the Bus. This is a band called Merciful Fate. Apparently, I listened <laughs> 1,045 minutes, and I'm in the top 0.5% of people listening to this band. Wow. And this was a metal show that I went to over at SoFi Stadium, uh, at the YouTube Theater at SoFi Stadium, like a few weeks ago, and it was so fun. And the singer's name is King Diamond, uh, and I got to meet the king, which is very exciting. I have photos of myself and the king. Um, we can check what it out. What was your impression of the king? The king's amazing. So these guys are from <laughs> Copenhagen. Their their peak was really in the 80s, uh, and all their songs are basically about like witchcraft and Satanism, and it's so fun and funny oh to hear like God. grown men singing about like Satanism <laughs> and you know coming to the Sabbath and you know casting spell you know whatever it's it's uh it's my favorite it's my favorite it sounds like really light music i can't tell if a thousand forty five minutes is a lot or you're one of like seven people that listens to this band yeah i mean well just divide it by four dude you know i was dating someone earlier this year and this was like on a playlist he sent me so the top song is called you've got a woman and apparently i played it 115 times oh my god the most my most listens were on January 8th. I guess it was maybe a nice start uh, to the year. Um, so. Have you listened to it since uh, the person you dated, or does it bring back bad memories? No, it doesn't bring back bad bad memories. Um, yeah. I feel is... like we're deeply invading Sophia's privacy right now. Not at <laughs> she all. seems super Not uncomfortable. It's really like, it's very high low. This is very, very high, you know. Not high low, but like. Oh that's my god! A very... look, at, look, look at that next album cover. Yeah, my god. That's a, it's a you know you've got a woman who's like a very chill kind of like song, and this one's like super duper heavy. So I yeah, I really if you're span, listening. I've got if you're range. listening on the podcast players right now. <laughs> I'm looking at this Merciful Fate album cover that looks like some uh, reincarnation of the devil coming out of the album, ready to grab one of the co-hosts from the screen. Yeah. Reaching his arm out, like, come to me. Yep. Um, in flames. Really, really light stuff. Um, okay. Let's quickly finish with mine and then we'll talk about wrapped and the strategy. I don't even remember who mine was. Oh, Drake. Drake is great. I feel like there's, you guys can't toss me any hate about listening to Drake. That was mine, too. No, Drake. Who doesn't like Drake? I will say I'm very basic in my listening. My top five, Drake, Eminem, The Lumineers, 
Mumford and Sons and Kanye. That's Kanye, oof, oof. Yeah. yeah. Delete. I, through and through. <laughs> I know. I will say I listen to most music these days, or not most, a lot of it on a record player. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. How'd you get yeah. that habit? Carly uh, got me um, a record player that connects to Sonos for my birthday. And so now when I do work in, in the kitchen, I'll just put the record on it. And it gives me an appreciation, more of an appreciation for Spotify and just digital. Because a record is done in like six minutes and you have to go turn it over and then keep turning it over. It's actually a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's wrap that up, pun intended. And let's talk about just the campaign that is Spotify wrapped. Any uh, initial thoughts on why it's so genius or what entrepreneurs can learn from it? I think it's like the, the, one of the best growth loops out there, right? And a growth loop people talk a lot about is essentially something you do that allows, that wants people to share it to drive more and more growth. Like it never, there used to be the concept of a funnel. It's still the funnel. Okay, awareness, consideration. So if someone becomes aware, then they buy it, then they transact. And I think in the new world, it's all about loop. So it's like, Someone's a Spotify listener. They see this content. They're craving it. They start sharing this content. It makes other people want to share it. And then other people sign up for Spotify. And it just sort of that that cycle just keeps going forward. And, and it's just so shareable. And, and so I think that's it's a growth loop that has just tons of sharing involved in it. I think it's amazing because it's a little bit of like fortune telling or taking a Myers-Briggs test or understanding yeah. your Enneagram. It's like taking a quiz without having to take a quiz and people love being told about themselves i mean that's really what just like an astrology reading is there's usually nothing surprising about it it's just like oh yeah i am like that and it's something they want to share and for a lot of people it's just like hey look i'm cool right look this is what i've been up to it's a way to share something with your friends that you may not otherwise and i think it's you know, yes, it's using data, it's, you know, but it feels really personal. It feels like someone made a playlist. I got four playlists made for me from my mm-hmm. Spotify wrapped, and it's better than what most of my friends could make for me. And I haven't heard all the music on there, so it's even serving up something new for me, which, as you mentioned, loops. I'm coming back now to listen to these four playlists, which is probably four or five or six hours of my time. And what's also awesome about it, and this is what, and I'm sure you guys have also done this, it generates something that's called dark social. So that's taking a screenshot and sending it to a friend. Yes, you can export it into an Instagram story. You can, I tweeted at Mercyful Fate. It just pushes a button. You can like tweet at the band, which whatever. It's obviously something that's like a template, but I did it just for fun. Um, But that's also just like, that's really, really personal, more than just broadcasting it on your social media, which is, I know what they are able to measure, uh, but it's a brilliant, brilliant campaign. And also the art's really pretty. Like, I want to share. It doesn't look like some, it looks really good. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's advertising that somehow people have become absolute cheerleaders of, more than just cheerleaders. They are the advertisers, right? It is something that has converted customers into salespeople. And when you can do that, it's incredibly powerful. I uh, I posted on LinkedIn yesterday about why I think Spotify uh, wrapped is really smart. And some of people's responses to it were fascinating. So this guy, one guy, uh, Joseph Gish said, I post a photo of me hiking with a mountain emoji, maybe 14 likes, no comments. 
I post my 2022 wrapped, I get 70 likes, 20 comments, and people post their top five so everyone can discover new songs, right? So it's like he's sharing for Spotify. He's getting social cred because of it. It's literally like his best performing content on social. And also artists are getting the benefit of it because people are discovering their music. It's like it's a triple win, which is amazing. There's another one which I find crazy. Um, Danielle said, Spotify does so many things right. I actually think Spotify wrapped is one of the reasons that I left Apple Music. I had FOMO. And three Mm. people said that on my post. And then the final one that was interesting is someone said they present uh, data in a way that's cool and not creepy, right? And I think in this world where data privacy is increasingly a thing, them being able to get away with using people's hyper-specific data to deliver them a picture, basically saying, hey, we have used all your data and now we want you to share it. They do it in an incredibly non-intrusive, or at least it doesn't come off as in an intrusive way. Something that I was thinking about as you guys were talking about your learnings from it is also what one thing I read is an intern in 2013 came up with the idea of Spotify wrapped. Mm. Um, and it was this intern who it was called urine review originally. And I actually, someone who posts about this said, you know, they're actually pissed because the intern didn't get any credit for it. So I don't know if that's true or not, but again, it's interesting thing to see. But I think what, what's also interesting is having a company that allows really cool and interesting ideas to actually be put into production relatively quickly, even if it's coming from an intern, building that into your culture, uh, kind of like this idea meritocracy that Ray Dalio talks about a lot, is actually a really powerful thing that I'm sure people haven't thought about within the context of uh, Spotify Wrapped. And, you know, Spotify, I think people don't really, and not everybody uses this, but Spotify was built to be social, right? You can follow people. You have a profile. I can see what my friends are listening to when they're listening to it. Mine's pretty private, and I think I've made some public playlists. It's also, like, people used to talk about music. People used to share records and make mixtapes for one another. And that was, like, really, really special. And to, you know, it's a prompt to share music in a way that this guy you're talking about on Twitter I doubt that he's posting his favorite songs frequently. Is that, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I love listening to music, but it's not, there's a, now there's like a season where it makes sense for us to do that. And we're prompted to do that. And it's more okay to do it. And it maybe if, it, if it's outside of the typical content that we create, it's something that we're able to share at the end of the year with yeah. people that allows them to get to know us on a more personal level than, you know, for those of us who are tweeting about thought leadership, right? So as you as you look at what Spotify Wrapped has done, how do you think about ways to apply some of the learnings from it in your businesses, whether it's business class for you, Sophia, or Jesse, any of your three businesses? Um, what are what are some of the lessons you can take that you actually right now could like brainstorm things to do within your within your company? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there's a couple other ones, by the way, just to like yeah. remember the Coke Coke cans that had everyone's name on it. Yes. I, I was so dumb about that. And then someone realized, no, that's because people take the cans and take a picture and they post it. And they're so excited to see Jesse on a, on a Coke can. And I fell for it multiple times. And then the other one I heard that's even crazier is I've heard, I don't know if this is true, that Starbucks purposely misspells people's name and I've messes heard that it up also. because it also has a social, uh, a social element to it, which is genius if it's true. You know, for, for the, the most obvious one for us is Kahani, which literally, it's, I mean, they are using the stories format. So hell yeah. 
like the the mobile web is just moving more towards that format which is a big part of our thesis but we've seen the same exact thing we share back with all of our customers you know what um what people are engaging on on their site and it's actually a great data tool for them to know it's way better than typically what they have on their e-com site we have talked about the opposite which is could you show consumers what they're looking at on these stories across like the Shopify sites, right? The, the different things that they're shopping on or that are super popular. So we have lots of ideas around that, but it's it's a one-to-one almost. Um, I'm trying to think of the, any of the other ones are interesting. I mean, you know, the, the, we have some things where we share hours and stats and data about how someone's using like their growth assistant. Um, so out we'll of have curiosity, some of that. Do, does Kahani just... Do companies who use Kahani, and just for people who are listening, uh, Jesse, it's your business. I don't know why I'm explaining it. But basically, s- stories format that makes the mobile shopping experience significantly better. So you can click on the circles like you see in stories, and it shows some of the best products that companies have on their mobile site. Uh, do companies choose what go in those circles? Yeah, it's both. So there's some automation where they can say they want to show certain bestsellers or automate the product at price points or type of product, but then they can also literally just upload or edit the content any way they want. Yeah, because I was even just thinking in my head as a way to, again, use this this notion of how do you use personalization and data in a, in a really compelling way. Now you have this network of all these companies that are Hell on yeah. Kahani, right? Like how do you learn basically what are the personas of everyone in the Kahani network and use that to like actually decide what goes in the bubbles on certain sites? That's right, yeah. Yeah, there's crazy. I mean, you could have an app that's just discovery based on which stories are getting the most interest totally. across the e-com network. I mean, for business class, it's like, I think anything inherently shareable is gold, right? At Nasty Gal, yep. the clothing was shareable, right? Uh, that's not something that you have for a digital program for entrepreneurs. And so that's why I did the flight manual, this blue thing back here, which is this beautiful portfolio that you get when you join business class that you house all 300 pages of your worksheets in. And then it's an opportunity for people to share their own personal journey or, and you know, there's pictures of someone at their desk with their flight, with their flight manual. And you know, they're sharing like their personal workspace in the context of building their business or, you know, they take a screenshot or a photo of themselves watching one of our live videos. Alex joined me this week. Uh, it was a live call with students, which we do. And so that's, and then often I, they tag me and I repost that stuff. So it's not as granular as like using data per se, but it's an opportunity to create user-generated content for a digital program. That's really, yeah. really hard to do. Yeah, I also just think you've done it in a different way, Sophia, but like, a big part of, I think, what makes Spotify Rap so successful is it integrates with people's behaviors, already existing behaviors, through, like, the stories format, right? But also simplicity. Like, it is so easy to understand. They don't overcomplicate it. And I feel like something that's so powerful about what you've done with all of your companies, whether it's Business Class, Nasty Gal, Girl Boss, is the names were also simple, yet so powerful. Like, they... they in some ways, they're were accessible. Literal. Yeah, they're, they were little literal. They were accessible, but they also had an edge to them. And I think like that's such a powerful thing that you probably intuitively did with all of your companies. I mean, the oh. first two, Nasty Gal was an identity, right? It was, I'm yeah. a nasty gal. And then with Girl Boss, it was, I'm a girl boss. And there's nothing more peak for a brand than to build a culture where somebody is able to identify with it, not just identify with it, but propagate that term publicly because they're proud of it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's like, yeah, that's, 
a free marketing. That's some yeah. genius, Sophia. Thank you. It Business class you isn't quite doing that, but maybe there's another one in me. Honestly, I don't want to play into people's identities anymore. I've played enough in that in that <laughs> realm. I just want to be really good at things and build things that people love that aren't necessarily like I'm a blank because this sounds like a good Dave topic. That can get outdated. It get it can get it can play. The, the last thing I'll add, and then um, I want to uh, move on to the next topic about selling companies, is one lesson that, or there's two lessons from Wrapped that I absolutely will take with me with, within Morning Brew and anything else that I do. The first is just this idea of creating FOMO, right? And there, there are all different ways to create FOMO, but I think Wrapped has done it really well, well in two ways. One is by building an unpredictability. And what I mean by that is Wrapped the last three years has come out the first week of December, but it has come out a different day of the year every year. It was December 1st one year. It was December 5th another year. It was actually November 30th, I believe, this year. And so you always know when it's coming, but you don't know exactly when. But they tease it out on social that it is coming. So I think building unpredictability into your products, into your drops, I think is a really smart and interesting thing. The second is involving the people that your customers aspire to be into your marketing is also super smart. So for example, they now have thousands of artists this year doing their raps and creating videos around their raps. They got professional soccer players on uh Barcelona to create videos around their rap this year, right? Mm -hmm. So now it, it's not only part of your identity, it's also an aspirational thing because you want to do it because your heroes are doing it. And so, I mean, we could go on for hours, but super smart campaign. And you know that it is proliferated when like my town's Instagram story, Hoboken Girl, I live in Hoboken, Hoboken Girl, uh, created a meme out of Spotify rap specific to Hoboken. So pretty amazing. <laughs> to move on to the next topic, you know, something that I get asked by entrepreneurs all the time is the sale of the business, right? Like this is the North Star. Everyone feels like that is when they're going to feel true joy and excitement around the process of building their company. Um, but there's so much that goes into it. And both of you had, have had the experience of selling companies. So I would just want to hear your perspective on what it's like, when it's the right time, and how it felt at the end once the process was done. Um, Jesse, let's start with yeah, you. Yeah, it's it's like it's probably multiple. It's truly probably multiple podcast episodes. You know, it, from my perspective, and you guys, you know, Alex, you've been through it also. I I think the there's a I'll hit on the kind of beginning and the end a little bit, but I want to spend a lot of time on the process because I feel like that's the most unknown part that people don't think about or know when they when they talk about selling like. You know, there's, you're building your business. You're not thinking about selling it. Maybe somebody pings you from now, someone in private equity or some investor person, or maybe maybe a competitor or a bigger company in your space wants to get to know you. And I think one funny thing that oftentimes happens is entrepreneurs immediately go, oh my God, they want to buy, you know, they take it super seriously. And I always tell entrepreneurs, just like there's some guy in corp dev and private equity, that's their job. Their job is to know who you are. It doesn't really mean all that much. And the flip of it is there's nothing down, downside about building a relationship with them, but it's towards the bottom of your priority list. And and anytime you get a business of any reasonable scale, like we're tweeting about growth assistant, Adrian's inbox is filled with private equity and other people being like, I saw this thing and I, you know, let's talk. And I'm like, hey, don't worry about that. Like that's just all low priority. So that's the first thing is that it comes up from now, you know, time and time again. Typically people sell because maybe they've been at it a few years and they want to try something different. 
maybe you know the, the opportunity they can see how the world is changing and they think that they'll be better as a part strategically of another company you know it, back in the day with ampush it was facebook ads were a big thing and we were becoming big but we could see that like you couldn't just do one of those things you eventually would have to do search and maybe amazon these other things we're like this makes we either have to get into that by buying companies or building that capability or we need to go sell and become part of something bigger which is what led to the red ventures conversation and so there's there's reasons right and those things come along and there's soul searching and there's a million other you know parts of it so that that's one piece from my perspective the other piece is always just like what do you want do you are you ready to take some chips off the table do you want to go for the gold do you want to find some hybrid and and what i always tell entrepreneurs is whatever you want the world can kind of accomplish and it's funny because entrepreneurs start these things they, they do anything and then they start to realize they start to think very binary like i can either sell or keep going it's like there's always multiple options uh in that you know in that approach but i want to spend the time on okay then what so let's just say you get approached with an offer or you decide you want to sell your company. What's that process like? Because I feel nobody understands it. So typically what happens is you'll get an offer if you're lucky, but that's not often. Typically people just go, no, we're, we're ready to sell the company. We're going to go run a process. That's kind of the lingo. Or maybe they're raising money and then during that process. Well, the first step of that, and you guys know this, but just for everyone listening, you know, you think about, should I get an advisor if I'm a big enough company and find an investment banker? Did you, did you guys use investment bankers? Alex, did you guys use a banker? Yeah, we used like a, a boutique banker. Largely, yeah, so typically, I was going to say one one reason was because honestly we didn't want to pay the fee that some of these big bankers charge. Yeah, typically if you're selling it for under a hundred million, you'll find a boutique bank who knows your industry. But if you're selling for over a hundred million, you'll call up Morgan Stanley or one of the big big Kahuna's, and they charge one or two percent. And there's a whole debate of whether or not that's worth it. I I actually think it is generally worth it, um, which I'm happy to talk about. But then you got you got to go build a deck. You got to get all your financials together. You got to get your numbers squeaky clean because people, lots of people are going to be running through them. You build this thing called a data room, which is a multiple week exercise of literally putting every contract you have and everything you've ever your whole life into one huge Google Doc, basically. Um, and then you got to pitch it. And what does that look like? It can be anywhere from well, first you got to reach out to a bunch of people. That's maybe what the bankers do or you do. If you're lucky, you know, you reach out to, I'm making up numbers, 50 people, maybe 100 people, and you get 20 meetings called management meetings. And those 20 meetings are, I mean, they are three to five hour meetings. You're going through everything in your business. You're being asked a million questions. And at the end of that, you know, week or two process, and typically you try to keep it concentrated because you want competition to exist. So you can't, you can't do that over two months, of course, right? So you, you kind of go through that process and then you know, you hope that one or two or three people go, hey, you know what, we're really excited about this. Maybe out of the 20, maybe seven or eight, double click and go, we want to know a little bit more. Then you have another series of meetings. Then you finally get to maybe two or three people go, you know what, we're going we're gonna to put something in. Then you got to make sure, well, do they have all the information they need? Then if you're lucky, sometimes you go through that process, you get nothing, and then you scramble to go find more. If you're lucky, you may get two or three offers. You may get one. It just depends. Then you go back and forth and negotiate that. Um, and then everyone's like, okay, you, it's this three page document. It kind of highlights the, the, you know, most of the stuff and everyone's like, okay, I signed that. And you're like, okay, can I breathe yet? And you're like, no, no, no. Now the hardest part starts. And this is just crazy. That's the LOI. You've agreed to the financial terms. You agreed. Now you go through, and for anyone who's ever bought or sold a house, it's kind of like you, you get under contract. Then there's a ton, you got to get inspections and they want to inspect every part of your business. They want to know, does your sales, is it really real? Can I talk to your customers? Let me meet the mid-level employee who you told me was really good and actually make sure they're good. And just imagine every phase of the business 
is getting looked at with a microscope and a fine tooth comb, which by the way, if you weren't prepared for that, or you didn't have your numbers, or your data, that pro that alone could end the deal. They may go, I just can't understand your business well enough. I can't do diligence. I'm out. So it's a very intense process. It's usually 30 to 90 days, depending no, on the business. No one, uh, no, it was very under the microscope, that microscope you're referring to during due diligence when uh, we did our deal. I'll give you guys each one guess. Your email deliverability? Sophia? Mm, your fit, your fitness is a is a leader. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I, I was questioning my own fitness. Um but uh no, my mom. <laughs> because 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 my mom has been my chief of staff for the last five years. They saw another Lieberman on the employee list oh, and they're wow. like, What's hap what's happening here? Oh, like no. Like what? Why is Alex's mom on the payroll? So that was that was where uh, the most questions actually came about. Why, it all yeah. was fine. Why did you guys choose to sell your companies? I think we're leaving that out, Alex. Why? Why was that? You know, because you're you guys continue to grow, right? It's a great business. Yeah, um, it's funny because as you say that, I would say there are people today who would say you guys sold too early, right? You know, we sold for a reported seventy-five million dollars. This year, the business will do around $75 million. People are like, you clearly sold too soon. I mean, it is such a personal decision. I'll start by saying, just to kind of layer onto what Jesse was saying, what convention says are the reasons you should sell a business. So Elod Gill, who's you know a, um, a really successful angel investor, he has basically said there's five reasons to sell your startup. The first is you're exhausted and you don't want to keep going. The second is that the founding team is about to blow up, not in a good way. Uh, the third is that the acquire, acquirer is willing to pay ahead substantially, and you don't think that there's a likelihood that you will ever grow to that value that they're willing to pay. The fourth is that you're about to get massively crushed by a competitor. So an example he used is how Microsoft would oftentimes launch uh, businesses or buy businesses that it would integrate into its operating system. It would have a built-in distribution of hundreds of millions of people on day one, and it would crush competition just as a function of access to that channel. And the fifth was you need financial security or regular cash flow, like now, not in the future. Um, I generally think my view of when you should sell is I agree with the you're tired, you no longer want to build the thing, um, but. But also on that, there's a caveat, which is there are other ways to even get out of if you're exhausted the business, right? Like you don't have to sell it. You could move someone internally, like your second in command to be the CEO, the day-to-day -day operator of the business. You could hire someone externally. Generally, I would say there's more risk pent up in that. It's the most important hire you could make and you're it's someone who hasn't grown up in the business. Um, I also think a, a good time to potentially sell is you get an offer that's worth more than you think you're worth now, and you don't think the risk is worth it to see if you can grow above right. that value. And then the third one that Elad uh, pointed out that I think makes sense is if you want liquidity, as in getting cash today, but again, I think there are other options like taking distributions, selling a minority stake, or uh, selling secondary shares, meaning your shares, not issuing new shares um, into the business. Or the third is a dividend recap, where you take a loan in order to take a special dividend or distribution 
to yourselves as founders. I personally, the reason I wanted to sell Morning Brew is twofold. One, because I had made this internal promise to my family that I wanted to take care of my family after my dad passed away. Um, and I, I just couldn't get over this mental hurdle of just visualizing that the Lieberman household no longer had inflow of cash because my dad worked on Wall Street for 20 years. After he passed away, my mom had already retired from working on Wall Street. I just couldn't like stomach this idea that we were all cost centers to this now fixed pie that mm. wasn't growing at all. So I'd say that was part of it. The the second reason is, you know, the deal we were able to do in my mind was able to give uh, life-changing money. And one could argue, sure, but you could get 3x the life-changing money if you don't sell your business. For me, my view was I didn't want to be greedy. And I knew it would open up a lot of options for me in life at the age of 28. I also think your age matters a lot in when you choose to sell. And I would say the second reason for me is in Business Insider, uh, I saw a partner that could help us grow our newsletters specifically way faster because they get hundreds of millions of paid views a month. So how could we convert any of that traffic, some amount of that traffic, to be subscribers to The Brew so we don't have to pay as much for marketing? I'd say my co-founder did it for slightly different reasons. But for me, it was a combination of, of money and growth opportunity. And I think that's one thing that, you know, you read Elod's, I think it was five reasons to sell. Yeah. And that's one that he left out, which is there's a bigger, this is more proactive than like, you know, they think, you know, we're going to eat their lunch. They need to buy this upstart, you know, there's a more positive kind of proactive, elective reason to sell your company, which is like, this is an amazing platform. They offer shared services. We're not going to have to okay. worry about HR or healthcare. They're going to take over that part of the business. We're going to get to focus on our zone of genius. And, you know, when I sold Girlboss, my second company, I did it because, you know, Joe Marchese was doing a roll-up of other media companies and had been the head of advertising at Fox Networks and had this huge portfolio of advertisers and relationships that he was going to be able to sell across in addition to Girlboss and really blow it out in a way that it would have taken us a lot longer to. And that was why I did that. I wish I had sold. And it would have been for the same reason. An urban retailer of millennial clothing... <laughs> <laughs> once offered over $400 million for my company, uh, for Nasty Gal. I owned 80% of it. I would have pocketed $320 million. Oh, my God. And my investors, and I took advice, right? I controlled the board. This is on me. They told me to ask for more, and it went away. The chance of any deal happening is slim. So, you know, would it have ever happened? Is this urban retail e retailer even acquisitive? Would an integration with them have completely failed, right? You can sell your company and then fail to integrate it into the other company and end up with absolutely nothing. And another thing I think worth mentioning is a lot of people sell their companies, you know, don't take cash off the table. It's maybe an all-stock offer. They have opportunities for an earnout, which is like, okay, if you hit your metrics, you know, then you'll get paid this year and then you'll get paid another chunk next year. It's a bit of like golden handcuffs. But if that if this acquirer doesn't give you the resources that you need to actually do that or set you up for success, you're not even in complete control of your destiny, your your company's destiny, because you've got yeah. a boss. Yeah. So I think, okay, I think so one other one other reason I want to add, hold on real quick, is like 
that's not in that list is, you know, you said as, you, know, you kind of said this, Alex, but entrepreneurs have careers also. I think people miss that, right? And getting an exit under your belt at a young age is a, is a broad validate. To say that you're, ex, you know, 20, however, 29, I've sold my company, it opens up doors. It opens up doors that otherwise wouldn't be open, even if your company was bigger and you were, you were running it along. And I think people don't realize that there is, I always like used to look at this with the, like Zuckerberg is such an exception. Even Elon Musk, his first company was like a little ad tech business that put like ads in newspaper websites that he sold. And I always used to joke, I'm like, yeah, like people work their way up to these massive, massive, insane bets. They don't know, very few people just end up and start there. And I think that's like a, I think the rhetoric in the, in the world is different. It's like, no, no, you got to go all the way. You got to go all the way. And it's, as opposed to like, it's okay to, to have a small win start a consulting business, sell it for five or 10 yeah. That's a huge outcome and it will set you up for the next thing and you can keep swinging bigger each time. It's funny. That's uh, uh, Andrew Gazdecki, uh, who has micro acquire. Um, yeah, he's big on that. Pr- pr- proud investor. One of his best pitches for micro acquires, like, yeah, if you're an entrepreneur who's just starting out, you're, you know, your first at bat should be build a micro SaaS business that you can sell on micro acquire a year or two later, get uh, you know, a few uh, million in your pocket, then take a bigger swing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I think what early entrepreneurs don't realize is that if they're a great entrepreneur, they're going to have many lives in them, right? It's easy to get yeah. attached to your first company and be like, oh my God, if this doesn't work out, if I, you know, just hang on to it and be overly optimistic and be like, well, what would I do next? This is my baby, you know, be emotional yeah. about their business, yeah. which I don't think is completely healthy, but it's like, We've got many businesses in us, all of us, right? Jesse, you've done it. I've done it. Alex is going to do it. We'll do it. He's got He'll plungers, do it. He'll do it. He's like the wall. five years old. You got time. Um, but I think <laughs> it's, you got to like, <laughs> sorry. Uh, it's a great thing. Um, but it's a, there's a level of confidence to saying like, you know what? Like I've built this thing. I'm really proud of it. But I'm, I, I, there's yeah. more in me and it may not be this. And, and to, I want to go back to the process for one second, like, just cause I feel like people don't see it and get it. It's, it's a, it's a grueling process. There's tons of lawyers involved. You could spend a big fee by the way. And if the deal doesn't close, you're, you're stuck with those fees, like, which is, which happens to people. And, you know, Sophia, you said this in passing earlier that even once you sign that LOI, it's probably maybe a 60, 40 shot. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's another thing for entrepreneurs. When you're in that zone, manage that process very carefully the easiest way, by the way, I would tell anyone to think about it is it's really simple. Imagine you were spending millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars to buy a business. What would keep you up at night? Just think that's you got to put yourself in the shoes of the acquirer. And, and that's what a lot of the legal stuff is about. Are you telling me the truth? Will you promise you're telling me the truth? If, you, if you're not and I find out later, can I get my money back? And that's you'll spend tons of times with these things called reps and warrants and indemnifications inside of that agreement. Because if you were buying a company, if anyone's buying a company, they really want to know that each thing that they're saying that is being said to them is true, in fact, or they have some recourse around it. And then just like last thing, and you guys have all been through this, but I always think it's hilarious. Like the closing is like a Bond movie. At least mine was. I don't know for you guys. It's like you have these documents. You, you sign them. Some lawyer holds all of the documents in one central place. Computer <laughs> pops up and you're like, we sent the wire. Like it literally is a real time. We sent the wire and you're like refreshing your screen. It's like, holy shit. Like that happened. And then you tell everyone sends a wire and then the fi- the person distributes all the signatures. And then it's like, it's not, you, you, you sold your company that you don't own it anymore. Yeah. yeah I, I will say, <laughs> I wish. Was it like that was, for you guys? I wish mine was as intense and cool as that. Mine was, 
in my mom's living room during the pandemic. My mom and my fiance in there with uh, champagne bottles and balloons trying to pump me up. They're all excited. Austin and I are on a Zoom call with, you know, let's call it 14 people, half of which are in Berlin and it's nighttime there, half of which are people in the U.S. And they, they say, you know, we're going to send the – or like uh, we're going to initiate the wire. Um, can you verify this information? They verify the information. And they say, uh, wire initiated. And then they say, congratulations, guys. And Austin and I are just like too schneebly. It's just like, oh, thank you. And I, I, I honestly, <laughs> I was like – Oh, that's my favorite word. Um, okay. And yeah, we like – I was excited. It, it does but... end up being very anticlimactic in that moment. I think I don't know if you guys felt that too, because yes, you've been grinding yes. so hard, and it's like you knew it was coming, you knew it was coming, and obviously you don't want it to not happen. And then it, and you're like, oh, okay, it's relief more than excitement. What if it was the first thing you bought? A dog. I got an M5. I wow. Off, I paid off my. Actually, I bought. I, I told you guys about the the Vinny's graduation present story, right? No. So Wait, I yeah, was. Yeah, a, yeah. Okay. I this... was an expecting father. Right. And my wife had a baby like right around the time this deal closed, our, our son, Ricky, seven years ago. And I was like, I want to splurge on something. And I've been looking at Jet Smarter. It's like the app where you can book private jets. And they had this amazing deal where for $10,000 a year, you could hop on empty legs for free. And I would like watch it every day. And there'd be tons coming from San Francisco. And I'd be like, I can just take private jets. Like, how cool would that be? So I'm like, I, as soon as the deal closed, I spent 10 grand on this, this stupid app. And I had a newborn. I didn't know what it was like to have a newborn, but it turns out you can't just jump on a random flight that pops up because you want to get on a private jet, right? This is not how it works. And so my, my younger brother, who looks like me, the same height, I gave him like, I gave him my ID. That's probably illegal, whatever. But he was in New York City and he was 22 Definitely years illegal. old working in finance. And he literally would go every weekend with his buddies on a private jet somewhere. Didn't cost me anything, right? It was unlimited. And guess how many times I used it during the year of the 10000 Zero. So be it. Two? Zero. Oh, I yeah. never used it once. And I then I called to cancel. A answer. I just wanted a different answer. I called to cancel and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not getting a lot of use out of it. They're like, sir, you're one of our top users. <laughs> of the, of the you, you, got, you, you, you got brownie points with Vinny. So uh, my, okay. co my well, co-founder calls it Vinny's graduation present. That's, that's what is. we now know. That's amazing. That. Um, last question for you guys. Then we're moving into uh, the fun final game uh, where you guys are just going to go off about different topics is if you have one lesson or one thing you would do differently if you sold another company, what is that? 30 seconds max. What I do differently? Mm. Yeah. Just Jesse. be as buttoned up as you can be and, and, and manage every, every day. Manage the process every day, like especially once you've signed the LOI. I think pick a more established acquirer. So the company who acquired Girlboss was still a newish company. They had raised money. They were doing roll-ups of existing businesses, but they hadn't done it before. They were in the process of raising money. So somebody that really has kind of legacy doing that and has, has done it, has done it and done it and done it over the course of years and understands what that looks like, that would have been nice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think to your point, you're t when you're acquired, you know, sometimes we don't think about it kind of in the moment of we're going to be making money, but it's like actually the stability of the partner you're working with because in some cases you're making a many-year commitment to them. It's, um, it's important to have a point of view on them. Uh, I'll just quickly add, I think leverage is your best friend um, in, in the deal process. So having other offers in hand, 
not needing to do a deal, like the acquirer knowing that you have, you, you would be very okay with just walking if you're not satisfied and also performing really well while the deal is going on, which is why I think, I think uh, Justin Kahn's um, advice of like the best time to sell a business is when you don't want to or need to sell a business is oftentimes um, kind of the best way to do it. So that's my thought there. Guys, we're going to do a final game to end the show despite getting bullied by both my co-hosts. I'm primarily sorry. Primarily one who called me a five-year-old. But we're going to go into <laughs> no, this. No, like uh, I'm saying okay. you're like a baby, like not in my mind. <laughs> <but laughs> Much time ahead of you. I'm saying. Like Speaking of babies, I, I, we need to get rid of this baby Buffett name. That's like what they call the Sam I'm the BF dean. guy. I didn't go to college. I don't know what a dean is. Can, can we call him something else? What's a dean? Yeah, we, 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 a dean of a school. You do you do business class. You run this this business class. Okay, we'll do a refresh. We'll talk about it. Um, you know, off show, and then we'll we'll see dean? what people I'm think. Sorry, I don't. Not okay, we're we're not. playing. Okay, composure. We are gonna play a new game called thumbs up thumbs down so this is how it goes i am going to make a statement um of fact and you're going to say th- you're going to show thumbs up or thumbs down and then provide like five to ten seconds of commentary on why you gave the thumb you did okay so we're going to start from the top i'm going to go jesse then sophia and i guess i'll give my answer after you guys jesse elon will get revenue of twitter from five billion to $26.4 billion by 2028, which is what he promised investors who invested in the deal. Uh, I'm going to go thumbs up. I don't think he'll quite get there, but he'll get he'll get good enough. Sophia? I have no opinion here. I don't know enough about Twitter's business, and I'm going to just be honest about that. So, so thumb to the left. Yeah, left. Okay, neutral, left thumb. Neutral. Uh, I'm going to go thumbs down. Uh, I believe I believe in Elon I just think that it is going to take more than, call let's call it, five years to 5x revenue, given they haven't even really proven that they can scale one revenue stream, let alone what I believe will need to be multiple to get it to $26 billion in revenue. Uh, okay, next one. Jesse, it is a good time to start a company. Double thumbs up. Why? Um. People don't, I mean, the competition when everything is hot, like it's hard to hire people, salaries and, and compensation is out of crazy out of whack during those times, like really bubblicious. It's, you know, it's hard to get, find and get people. I think there's a lot of money out there, but there's a lot of noise also. And it's, it's just hard to operate in the noise sometimes. I think when it's quieter, there's not as many people. I think starting something, you sort of, whoever you get at that time comes in with the expectation that like, this is a risky venture and that's actually like great versus there's almost stability in the risk, if that makes sense, versus a big company who never knows when the next layoff's going to happen and they're constantly worried about that. It's a very different orientation. So um, rent is cheap. Like, yeah, I think it's a great time. Your expectations yeah. are low. You don't have to like become the best business every, you know, five, five months and raise another round every five months. Yeah. Yeah. Sophia. I think it's I think it's a great time to raise a business for some for a founder who isn't looking for a valuation that's going to be like it has been over the last few years uh, for a founder who's going to be really honest with themselves about, OK, like I'm going to maybe I'm going to raise money. Maybe I shouldn't raise money quite yet. It's like not a great time to do it. 
but the investors who come in are going to be investors who aren't like over you know they're going to be people who have a lot of conviction because there's less money getting thrown around and will probably be more helpful because they have a lot more to lose um in a market like this and in the same way that it's like you know maybe a good time to be investing in the market because things are down it may be easier to fundraise in some ways again if you are conservative uh and kind of mirroring that advice onto yourself as a founder and being really honest with yourself like building it for the right reasons you know if you're in it for the right reasons it's a good time to start a company so is that a thumbs up uh it's a thumbs up okay thumbs up perfect a uh, few more uh spf sam bankman fried will go to jail i hope so jesse feels weird to thumbs up that but I guess I'll thumbs it up. That, that's a yes. It's not you're not endorsing him. <laughs> I feel bad for the guy. But so yeah. you think he will go to jail? Yeah, definitely. I can't believe he's like tweeting. Like I'm just like who? So Sophia, what's your? I idea? think his defense. I think that I very much buy the defense people are talking about that he's doing. It's genius. Apologize. I made a big mistake. I'm sorry. I'm a little baby. It's so far beyond um, that. It's so far beyond. But that. it's so like, genius. If you're well, him. Why is it genius? Because it makes people like just like anything, it makes people less upset. You're saying sorry, like it, it versus you know Elizabeth Holmes was just like I don't do anything wrong. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Like not taking ownership and responsibility, it pisses people off. And on, a lot of these things are driven. We we like to think the justice system is not driven by the media or whatever, but it is. It's driven by how upset some prosecutor gets, how aggressive people want to get around something like this, and it's a good strategy. It's it's also like incompetence versus versus shadiness or fraud, and, and I think it's a good. It's just a good angle, but he's going to go to jail. Yeah. So, Sophia, thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up. You know, it's one thing to lose uh, investor money. It's another thing to lose the money of investors that you're managing. And if they're going, if those, you know, anybody who invests in any market, especially crypto, should, you know, be expect to lose all their money possibly right we've all <laughs> if anybody is if have us have crypto it's obviously worth a lot less than it used to be but that's not something you expect from the company who's managing it um that yeah. you know that we don't really see that with traditional banks and um i think that's i just think that's really messed up um yeah and i think he had a responsibility way bigger than pretty much i mean almost any anyone out there uh i mean uh, yeah and and i think i think the punishment will fit the crime yeah i'm gonna give a thumbs up uh because fraud is still fraud even if you act like a baby (laughs) even you if you act like alex lieberman and uh you're a five-year-old and you well now i'm comparing myself to spf i'm not like him at all guys Uh, (laughs) uh um but no i think yeah, it, it's still fraud, even if he's acting like he made mistakes. It's still fraud. Um, last one for you guys before we wrap up the episode. I think this is going to be a tough one. You can build as successful of a business 100% remote as 100% in person. Jesse. Ugh. As someone who is doing it right now. That's a really tough one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to aspirationally give it a thumbs up, but I don't know how yet. Like, I, I have my own sense of skepticism. And I think, like, successful is one question. I think, like, fun and enjoyable is a whole other You know, like, those are kind of two different questions. But... Well, that could just be your definition of success. <laughs> yeah, I, I think aspirationally, yes, I'm going to say. But I don't. 
it's not obvious to me and I feel worried about it. Okay. Sophia? I mean, are you a retail business? <laughs> like, are you a digital business? Or, you know, it's like some people have to go to work. Um, and, you know, I once saw a meme that said, introverts rejoice in the comfort of your own home. So remote work for an introvert is a dream. It's like school. Not everybody learns the same way and not everyone works the same way. And I've done my best work behind a computer. I started Nasty Gal. I wrote Girl Boss and I built business class almost completely behind a computer. And while I'm very public and I've employed a lot of people, I'm very much an introvert and working remotely is something that is a blessing to me. I mean, I could leave the house probably more and I could not eat at my desk a little bit more. Um, but what I've built has been in a pilly bathrobe. I haven't had to put on a show for anybody or rah, rah, you know, t you know, teams walking into the office like, good morning, guys. It's not natural for me. I've done it. It's not my favorite thing. And I do my best work as an introvert from behind my computer. Yeah, um, I'm going to go thumbs I'm going to go thumbs down. Um, I just think it's impossible to build the connection that is necessary to have people have enough affinity for a company to stay there for a long time. So I think retention becomes really difficult beyond other mm -hmm. things like communication and creativity. Um, okay, we are done with the show. Jesse or Sophia, when do you guys want to do the send-off? Anything, anything to say to our listeners before we go? <laughs> Thanks. What are they I'm enjoying what are they Have a great week. Keep grinding. Keep staying mis misfit. Misfit. Keep being, keep keep being misfit. Keep and missing the fit. Yeah, keep missing the fit, Other guys. Than and market. one <laughs> Anything else, Sophia? <laughs> Very good. Um, last uh, thing before we go, everyone. We would love for you to rate or review the show on podcast players, but as Jesse said, only five stars if you have four or below. Just don't bother rating. And subscribe or comment on YouTube if that is where you watch the crazy ones. Plus, if you want to say hey and uh, introduce yourself, shoot us an email at thecrazyones at morningbrew.com. But uh, we can't wait to see you next week for the best show on planet Earth for entrepreneurs. Take it easy, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.